This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Oh, GYC, do you love Jesus? Are you sure you love Jesus? Tell me, why do you love Jesus? Because he first loved me, that's the reason we all ought to love him. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Amen. Do you love Jesus this morning? Yes. Happy Sabbath. A good friend of mine does that every time he speaks. Sebastian, that was a tribute to you. And good morning, Itai. That's my son, um, who is in Zimbabwe, for those of you who weren't here previous mornings. Um, I, this morning, we're going to do the same thing we've done every morning, is we're going to read scripture. Is that okay? All right, so pull out your Bibles. Let's turn to 1 Samuel. We're still in 1 Samuel and chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. While you're flipping there, I've always wanted to do special music at UIC, and nobody's ever invited me. So that was my, my opportunity to shine. <laughs> I should have warmed up more, huh? <laughs> 1 Samuel 17. We're going to talk about David this morning. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Our loving Father, we are so thankful for the gift of life. We're thankful that we've made it into this new year. We're thankful that you have preserved us and that you have a purpose in mind for us. As we delve into scripture this morning, we ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We ask that as this is holy time, that we would have an experience of holiness that we've never had before. Lord, that our walk with you would be closer and deeper as a result of coming into this time of worship and prayer. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So Samuel chapter 17. We know the outline of the story, right? Uh, it's one of our childhood favorites because you got this little boy named David and, and he's there and, and, and he does this mighty feat. See, the Philistines were not always this, this formidable, they were always formidable, but they weren't always this like impossible situation. I think one of the saddest chapters in the Bible is 1 Samuel chapter 4, where you have the, the Israelites and come up to battle the Philistines. They don't ask God before they go. And then the Philistines come up there and, and the Israelites get a little bit of a beating they lose like 4,000 of their men. They run back and they're like, what happened? They try to regroup. And they decide, you know, we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant with us into battle because they think back to the stories from back in the day. And when the Ark of the Covenant was there, the Israelites were winning. So they're like, we're going to get the Ark and we're going to be winning now. So they go and they take the Ark, again, not consulting God. And secondly, treating the Ark of the Covenant like it were an idol, as if just the presence of this physical thing would mean that God is present. So they bring the Ark of the Covenant and there's this huge, loud shout among the Israelites when they see the Ark come in, such that the Philistines 
are terrified. They're like, oh no, what are we going to do? The Ark of the Covenant is now in the midst of the children of Israel. And they've heard the stories too. They're like, back in the day when the Ark shows up, it's game over. But they say, hey, we got to quit ourselves like men. We're going to go down fighting. And in spite of their fear, this is the Philistines in chapter 4. In spite of the fact that they are so scared, they go out to fight. And it's one of the saddest chapters for me because these heathens who recognize the power of the God of the Israelites, but went out in spite of their fear in order to protect their families, they end up defeating the Israelites. I believe it's 30,000 people slain. Eli is old at that time, and um, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had gone with the ark. They died defending the ark of the covenant. Better if they had lived to defend it. So when word gets back, Eli is sitting and he's waiting, trying to hear what happened, expecting terrible news, and the news finally gets to him, and it's bad news. The news is that the Israelites have been defeated. That is sad. The news is that your sons have been killed, and that is sad. But you know what breaks Eli's heart? And the Ark of the Covenant has been taken. This old man loses his bearings. He falls and breaks his neck. Phineas' wife, Eli's daughter-in-law, is pregnant at the time. She hears the tumult. What's the news? And she finds out that Israel has been defeated. Your husband and brother-in-law are dead. And the Ark of the Covenant has been taken. At the news of the Ark being taken, she goes into labor. And she births her child. And you know there's a fourth piece of news for her. Your father-in-law is dead at the news of the Ark being taken. She goes into spontaneous labor she births a child and names him Ichabod, for the glory is departed. It's one of the saddest chapters in the Bible, I find. She dies after giving birth to her child. So when we get to chapter 17, this is the background of how the Philistines gained the kind of courage that they had, like the defiance that they had against God. And I wonder, if in our lives we do things that give the enemy courage to treat us a certain way. Not because God isn't great, but because of the way that we've acted the fool in the past. Chapter 17, let's read together. Verse 4, They went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. And then he tells us that he had all of this armor on him. In verse 8, he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come up to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine and you, the servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to him, to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. So this was going to be somewhat of a battle by proxy. 
you pick one person and send him out here. We'll pick, we have our one person and we, we got him out here. And let's see who wins. It kind of reminds me of the book of Job where, you know, God is, is up in heaven and, and Lucifer goes up there and he's like, you know, God's like, where you been? I'm roaming about. Lucifer says, I'm roaming about on my territory. And God's like, well, actually, have you seen my servant Job? And that means, yes, you may be claiming that as your territory, but I have a representative down there. And because Job is there, Lucifer can't lay claim to the entire earth. Because you are there, the devil can't claim this entire earth. Amen? It's kind of a battle by proxy. God is like, you are my representative. And when you're winning, well, God is always winning, but we want to be winning with Him. Amen? Verse 10, the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11, the response of Israel is kind of like what the Philistines were like in chapter 4. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This is the backdrop. The Philistines are there, the Israelites are fearful, nobody's gonna go out and fight. David gets sent by his dad. His dad says, David, go check on your brothers. His three older brothers had gone out to battle with Saul. Go check on your brothers. This, is, this was his mission. He came from um, taking care of the sheep. Actually, David, in, in the previous chapter, had been called to Saul's palace to play music for Saul. But apparently after playing music for Saul and being in the palace, he went back to tend sheep. Now how many of you would go from a palace out to the wilderness to take care of sheep? But that's David. And he's out there tending the sheep and his dad says, go and check on your brothers. And he goes and when he gets there, he finds that there's this, this conundrum that's going on where God's people are scared. And for David, he's like, do you know who God is? You're afraid of this Philistine? God is bigger than this guy, right? And his brothers think that he's there just, you know, seeking mischief. They're like, why are you here, David? You just want to be part of the action. And David's like, no, there's, is there not a cause? There's a reason why I'm here. We're getting to the, the, the part of the story where I want, why I want to end up. You know, they, they tell Saul, Saul tries to give him his armor, David says, no, thank you. There are very many lessons in the story, amen? We're just, we're brushing through a bunch of them. He says, no, I, you know, basically I got to fight in my own armor. So he picks up five smooth stones and he puts them in his little sling bag and he goes out there and he's ready to fight. Verse 42, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth and ready and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. And Goliath has reason to say this because he's huge and he's covered in all this armor and he's protected. And he's a man of war and he's been fighting for many years. But David says to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. 
But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. He says, I'm not coming to you in my own strength. It's not because I'm something important or I'm something mighty. I'm coming to you because my God is great. This day the Lord will deliver thee into mine hand, and I, little David, I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Oh, Goliath has had it. Israelite talking to me like that apparently he is so enraged by these confident words from this little boy that he pulls back his helmet and he goes to rush David it came to pass when the Philistine arose in verse 48 and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David ran away. David ran away? Okay. That David hasted, ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. I love the words that it uses here. He didn't just run toward Goliath. He ran toward an entire army, right? to meet this one Philistine who's representing all this host. He puts his hand in his bag and pulls out that stone and and in the children's story it says whiz went the stone as it flung through the air. Hits the giant in the forehead and the Philistines see their, their champion teeter and totter and they're amazed. They're like, what's going on right now? Apparently, the force with which that stone hit the forehead of the giant caused traumatic brain injury. And he starts to lose consciousness. He gets dizzy. He's about... And down he falls to the ground. You can imagine the shock and amazement in both the camp of the Israelites and the Philistines. The giant fell. David. I'm not a gun person. I, I, as in, I don't own a firearm and I don't like firearms because they scare me. I'm not making a political statement right now. Okay, I know this is like guns in America is like politics. No, I'm just, I want to say something about guns and I wanted to give my personal disclaimer. Um, but I have friends who are gun people. Can we be friends with people we, dis we disagree with? Yeah, okay, yeah. I have friends who are gun people. Some very close to me <laughs> are gun people. And they love their guns. And in conversation, you know, I'll ask, like, so tell me about guns. And they tell me about guns, and I don't understand the half of it. But something I caught was that when, when you're training uh, to, to, to discharge a firearm, um, they teach you that if you're, if you're in a situation where you're trying to defend yourself, you aim for the center of visible mass. 
Okay? Um, so that means in a human being, where is the largest center of visible mass? Right. This, this, your torso, chest area, this part. So you know sometimes people are like, oh, why didn't he just shoot the person in the knee? Well, because it's harder to shoot someone in the knee than it is to shoot someone in the torso. Okay? And if, if you're trying to defend yourself and what you're using is a firearm, you're not going to aim for the knee, which I guess if you're like super, super duper trained, you can aim for the knee and like bloop, and then they, like, they're hobbling, but you know, they can still hobble to you, and then you've got to shoot the other knee, and then they, I don't know. But anyways, you've <laughs> you got to aim for, apparently you've got to aim for this part. David takes his sling, and he does not aim for the largest center of visible mass. He goes for the head, not just the face, but the forehead. Okay, so I'm sure most of us are not gun people, but let's try to imagine how hard that probably is, right? Because you could not just miss the, the, the body, you could miss all together and it goes up over the head, right? But he aims for, and it's, it's the ideal spot. He hits him smack in the forehead and it does the deed. Giant falls down, he gets Goliath's sword and cuts off his head like he promised he would. But the fact that David managed to hit the giant in the forehead, that points to some level of skill. Yes? I mean, this points to like some level of crazy skill. Because he didn't just hit his object, he did it running. So he's running towards the giant, he grabs his sling, and I'm like, dude, how do you aim even? Like, and, and he's like, so, so probably the velocity of him running helps, you know, propel that device into the forehead of the giant until it says it sunk into his forehead. Now imagine David, every day he's out there tending sheep with his slingshot. Aiming, 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 day after day out there in the wilderness with his sheep. Nobody sees him aiming, nobody sees him slinging. Day after day out there with his sheep, nobody cares what he's doing, nobody knows what he's doing. Day in, day, do you get the monotony of it? Day out, all by himself, with the sheep, aiming. You know, they say it takes about 10,000 hours to become an expert at something. And they translate this 10,000 hours into about 10 years to become an expert. They did the study on, on um, I guess, painters and musicians, and they look at their works and how many years it takes for them to produce a masterpiece. And it takes roughly about 10 years of writing song after song after song after song until finally they produce their masterpiece, about 10 years. Can you imagine 10 years of your life? You know, and this is what it takes. Pract musicians practicing on the piano. And you practice and you practice and you practice and it's, 
So parents, you know, those of you who are musicians, you should thank your parents because it took 10 years of listening to you. <laughs> Some parents said amen. <laughs> Discordant notes, 10 years. I think piano is better, but the violin, it's like 10 years before you can play something decent. And amen to those churches that invite you to do special music. Amen to the little kids. Encourage them along the way, as horrible as it sounds. You know, God appreciates your sacrificial gift. Okay. David, day in and day out. And this is not just 10 years of just doing it. They say it has to be, you have to um, focus on what you're doing, evaluate, critically think through what you're doing and, and improve. Like, okay, that time when I threw it, you know, the angle was a bit off. Oh, you know, factor in wind velocity, you know, the wind and factor in. Year after year, day after day, until David was a master at a skill that he wasn't practicing to slay a giant. There's a saying, if you're going to do anything, if anything is worth doing, it is worth doing well. This is from a, you know, a father who was writing to his, his illegitimate son. And in this letter he says, he, he quotes two things. One is dance. If you're gonna dance, dance well. If it's worth dancing, so let's not talk about whether it's worth dancing or not, because this can become a whole big discussion in here. So maybe we don't dance. So if it's not worth doing, don't do it, period. If you're not going to dance, don't dance badly. <laughs> the second thing he says, if you're going to dress. And then he, he explains and he says, son, everybody has to dress. Everyone has to put on clothes. If you are going to dress, if it's worth it to put on clothes, then you need to dress well. Does this make sense? If, you're not, if it's not worth it to dress, then just don't. Uh, the alternative is scary, right? Okay. So basically, if it's worth doing, do it well. This means you develop an attitude of excellence in everything that you do. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it well. If I'm going to wash dishes, I'm going to learn how to wash dishes well. And my husband knows this is a peeve of mine, so I, I guess I mentioned it because it, pe it peeves me. You know, like, um, uh, I'm not trying to discourage you from washing dishes in my house, but, you know, sometimes, you know, someone, a well-meaning guest, you know, you've eaten, and then they come in, I'll do the dishes, and they do the dishes, and I go to the dish rack, and I take them all back, and I put them back in the sink, and I wash them again, because, you know, there's like little, you know, like when you eat, and there's like a crusty thing from the previous meal that like dried on after the dishes were washed? I, that like really peeves me, and I'm like, dude, like if I wanted to eat food with soap in it, like, you know, um, if you're going to wash dishes, wash the dishes well. P.S. My husband is awesome at washing dishes. That's he's a words of affirmation person. I affirm you. Okay. <laughs> if, you, if it's worth doing, do it well. If you're going to sweep the floor, sweep it well. If you're going to do it, if you're going to read, read well. You know, we have this lazy culture now where we don't learn how to read scripture anymore. Read, period. You know, and forgive me for blasting. I know there are people who are uncomfortable reading, period. But if you're going to do it, 
practice. You go home and you, you read out loud to yourself and those words that are difficult, you sound them out, right? So that if I'm ever called to read scripture, I can do it well. Lord, help me improve my intonation. Help me improve my, 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 uh, what do you call this? Yeah. Projection. Yeah. Help me learn to project my voice. If, it's, if you're going to do it, do it well. Let me read you something about Samuel. This is Ellen White speaking about Samuel when he was serving in the temple. He says, success in this life. This is from uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 574. For success in this life, success in gaining the future life, depends upon a faithful, conscientious attention to the little things. Success in life depends upon faithful, conscientious attention to the little things. Perfection, she now gives the example of God, perfection is seen in the least, no less than in the greatest of the works of God. When God formed the mountains, when he formed the worlds and the universes, he paid attention to detail. And when he formed the minute cell, when he formed the, 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 the very down to the element of creation, when he formed the little things, he paid attention to detail. Ask a biologist. They'll tell you the detail that is in a cell. I mean, it's a universe on its own. Everything from the least to the greatest thing, God paid attention to detail. This was David. That was David. That is part of how David slew the giant, was that David did faithfully the littlest thing. Let's read a little bit more. Um, after Saul, let's, we're backtracking. Verse 33, Saul said to David, You're not able to go out against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David said unto Saul, which by the way, you know, it, it, always, it always gets me, people are like, when they're looking for an employee, they're, like, they're looking for someone with experience, and then it's like, where am I supposed to gain experience if everyone wants someone with experience? You know what I mean? Like, okay, anyways. Because... Um, David was a youth, and it's like, you can't fight because you're a youth, but he's been fighting since he was a youth. Okay, okay, okay. All right, David said to Saul, let me tell you a little bit about my resume, Saul. Me, David, thy servant, kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion, and there came a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And what I do? I didn't run home to tell daddy. I didn't go look for Eliab or Abinadab or Shammah, my older brothers. I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. David is out there with the sheep all by himself. And when his sheep are threatened, he defends them with his own life. I wonder if we have that kind of 
diligence and faithfulness in whatever we do. I'm a student waiting till last minute to study for my exams and then praying Jesus works a miracle. Lord, we pray after the exam, Lord, please make Maryland the capital of the United States. I mean, it's close to D.C. Because we got it wrong in the test because we didn't study beforehand. Oh, someone finally got it. Okay. <laughs> Are we faithful in whatever it is that we're doing? He defended the sheep with his own life. And some of us feel like, man, are the sheep worth losing my life over? Is it worth, like, you know, sacrificing Facebook time to study? Is it worth, you know, killing my YouTube account in order to do well in my schoolwork? Is it worth dropping sugar out of my diet so I can have clarity of thought? Look, struggle is real on small things. I know this from experience, because preparing to come to, I have, I have one weakness. I have a sweet tooth, but as a coping strategy, I decided that I'm only ever gonna eat chocolate. Not carob, chocolate. And I know I shouldn't, but if I do eat something sweet, it has to be chocolate. You know, that kind of limits, you know, so if you're going to offer me lemon, meringue, whatever, whatever, I'm like, no, I don't eat that, right, because is it chocolate? Oh, here's an awesome carob cookie, which I heard the carob cookies yesterday were awesome, but I'm like, is it chocolate? It looked like chocolate, but is it chocolate? I don't eat that, right? So this is my, I've tried to limit myself. But then I also know that sugar depresses your immune system. You know that? Yeah. Taking in sugar depresses your immune system, which means your body is less able to fight off sickness. Sugar makes you dull. So if you're trying to take an exam, cut out sugar. Maybe just cut it out if you're studying, which means cut it out of your life, maybe. Man, this is hard to say. Um, and, and in preparing to come, my husband loves me, so he gets me little niceties once in a while and he knows my commitment to chocolate. <laughs> so in the sweetness of his heart, he got me some chocolate. And I was so mad at him because I'm like, I'm trying to speak this week. I cannot have chocolate. But it's hard because it's sitting on the counter and it's calling your name. <laughs> Someone understands me, Siku. <laughs> and I'm like, here am I. No, 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 it's not the Lord. <laughs> it's really hard. Real talk, this is, this is Christianity. Christianity is saying no to that soft, you know, like kind of crumbly chocolate chip cookie that's sitting on your counter. Because God, I want to be faithful to you. You've called me to speak and I, I can't get sick. I can't have my mind dull. I need to be focused. Help me say no to the cookie. You guys, I had to pray about that thing. And I was mad at my husband and I still am. <laughs> I was forgetting it. Like, why would you tempt your wife? 
<laughs> right? I know he did it out of love. Yep. Okay. Faithfulness in the small things. Nobody saw my struggle with that cookie. Like, so I come up here, right, and I'm supposed to speak. You don't see what happens back in my hotel room when I'm looking at the counter. That's the thing that nobody sees. But when I come up here, I better have my mind clear for the Holy Spirit to speak. Are you getting what I'm saying? The stuff that we're doing in private, alone, when nobody sees. And I'm not talking about the huge stuff we do. I'm talking about the little things that we do in private alone, when nobody sees. We have no time to study the Bible. No time to study spirit of prophecy. Because we're on this all day. Not studying the Bible or the spirit. I read my quote from the spirit of prophecy from my phone. So you can study the Bible or the spirit of prophecy from your phone, but I'm talking about, you're on Facebook, watching videos on YouTube, and YouTube is awful, right? Because they have those suggestions on the side. So you just watch something that was interesting, and then you're like, oh, let me watch something else. And it could be like an educational thing, right? Like you watched a TED Talk that was like about sleep and how important sleep is, and you're watching it at like 2 a.m. in the morning. And, <laughs> and they suggest another video, and you watch another one, and then another one. You know they say the average amount of time that... Americans spend on their devices is four hours. How many hours are we awake? Like, if you sleep like eight hours ish, that leaves uh, what? 16 hours of awake time, and four hours of 16 is one quarter. 25% of your life that you're awake. You were on this. Now do you feel like you wasted your life? <laughs> but I got no time to study the Bible. I can't memorize scripture because I'm busy. But somehow I found time to spend four hours on my phone, and that's average. It's not talking about those of us in here that are addicted to our devices. This is Christianity. I've got no time to hone the skills that are going to make me effective for Jesus, that are going to help me to slay giants, but I've got time to be on this all day, all night. I'm not against phones. Amen? I'm not against phones. I have one and I use it. It's a blessing. But if I'm not intentionally developing skills, focusing my attention on those things are going to help me to be a better honed warrior for Jesus. Amen. So David, he's out there. Lion and a bear come, and he risks his life to save his sheep. I want, I want you to notice something here. Verse 28 in, verse seven, in chapter 17 still. And Eliab, his eldest brother, when he heard, when he spake unto the men, Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Because David was asking, what's going on? This giant is defying the armies of Israel, of the, the armies of the Lord God Almighty. What's go Nobody's going out to fight him. And Eliab, his oldest brother, was like, David, 
Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Ha! When I read this, I was like, this is crazy. Not only did David risk his life for some dumb sheep, and dumb, I mean, they don't talk, right? Dumb sheep. He risked his life for a few dumb sheep. David, you left those few sheep in the wilderness. Here, Eliab is trying to diminish what David does, but this actually magnifies what David does. Because David's faithfulness, we were talking about faithfulness in small things. He is faithful in really small things. Little, a little flock of sheep. The reason why David is able to slay a giant is because of who David was. It was the character that he developed alone in the wilderness with the sheep. That's who slew the giant. Now I'm asking, who are you? I'm talking about behind closed doors where nobody sees. I'm not talking about the face that you present when you go up front or when you show up at church. I'm, I'm asking, who are you when nobody sees what you're doing, when you're on your computer screen? Pornography? When nobody sees. And I go out there and act like a gentleman, opening doors for ladies. Meanwhile, in the silent recesses of my room, of my private time, who am I? Look, women struggle with pornography too. I'm acting like I'm holy. Walking up in here talking about men be trifling. But in my private time, who am I? When nobody sees. What am I doing with my time? How am I spending my time? What skills am I honing? And is God going to be able to use them in his work? Because if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And let's admit some of the things that we do are not worth doing. Amen? Some of the things that we do may not be evil in and of themselves. But should we be investing the amount of time and effort into those things? Learning how to swipe as fast as possible on my phone. You were swipe masters. I can send a text message. Oh, sorry, we don't even swipe nowadays. We talk to our phone, right? Like, I know how to talk to my phone so she understands my messages and sends them for me. Uh, phone, tell GYC that I'm having a blessed time, period. Are you? Question mark. And we know how to do that and do it very well. Are we being intentional in honing the skills that God will be able to use? So David, we're coming to the close now. When David is before Goliath, Goliath, it says, came at him. And instead of running away, because of the life that David has lived, because David has seen God work in him in the past, because David has seen God use him to slay a lion, 
grabbing by the beard. Like, oh, you're going to come at me? You're going to try to get my few sheep? No, sir. And God, David has seen God work in his life in private. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We want to slay giants in public. But God wants to work in your private life first. David has seen God do amazing things for him in private. So when that giant comes at him, he's not afraid. He's got no fear. Because he says, you know what? God has helped me overcome appetite. When I wanted to eat that thing and I prayed, God gave me the strength not to eat it. I know God can help me slay a giant. God has helped me to overcome this area in my life, laziness. Hate waking up in the morning. The alarm goes off and I roll over and snooze, snooze. I'm like snoozing. For, you know, Proverbs talked about it. Person who's like, you know, like a door in its hinges. Snooze, snooze, snooze. God helped me to overcome laziness and get up in the morning. God will help me overcome this giant. God wants to work in your private life. What's going on in your life in secret? What is it that's happening in your life that you can't overcome? What's the struggle that's going on that you can't find the victory? And for all you're trying, you can't find the victory. And God wants to give you that victory, that private victory first. Do you believe he can do it? God can save by many or by few. The few that God saves by are the few who trust him completely. And the few who trust him completely trust him not just when people are looking, but in private, by myself, in my room, in my bed, for some of you, your private spot is the bathroom. When I'm sitting there in the bathroom in my quiet time, God wants to give you the victory in your private life. This is my appeal this morning. Do you need a victory? Do you need a victory in your private life? You need the Lord to help you overcome slothfulness. You need the Lord to help you overcome addiction. You need him to help you overcome socially acceptable addiction, like addiction to sugar. Socially acceptable, but you need deals to help you overcome that. Here I'm talking about tangible things. Yes, we all struggle with pride, and I'm not diminishing pride. Pride is the greatest sin, right? Because pride keeps us from coming to Jesus. So I'm not diminishing the importance of that personal issue, but I am speaking specifically about tangible things in your life that you know you need to gain a victory. Are you understanding what my appeal is about? 
tangible things in your life that you know you need a victory in. And Jesus wants to give you that victory. This is my lion, Jesus, and I need you to help me overcome my lion. This is the bear that's coming to attack my few sheep. I need you to overcome the indifference in my life because I don't care because they're just a few sheep. I don't care about my local church because it's so tiny. Send me to GYC. Put me on a stage at GYC. And then I'll tell you about evangelism. But put me in a little church and I cannot sacrifice my time to go to prayer meeting on Wednesday. I can't even call in. They have a call-in number. I can't call in to pray with the saints because I have to sleep in. I can't call in at 6.30 in the morning. God, give me victory in my private life. In those small things. Bow our heads. Close our eyes. Loving Father, you know that I'm not speaking this because I do not struggle, because I do not have things in my life that I need to overcome. You know I'm speaking this because this is my experience. I need you to give me the victory in my struggles. Lord, we want, to, we want to see giants come down through your power. We know that you are able, but God, are we willing? Lord, we want to present to you the struggles that we have, those personal struggles that we can't tell anybody about, maybe because they wouldn't understand even. They would think it's a small thing and diminish it. You're like, oh, is that what you're struggling with? But Lord, we know that we need to overcome in this area because you can give us the victory. Lord, help us to develop the characters that will be fit to slay giants, to be giant slayers in our private life. While our eyes are still closed and our heads bowed, if there's anyone who needs to stand up, because you especially need to ask Jesus to help you. This thing you've been struggling with, struggling with, struggling with, and you need a victory. Stand up. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.